Hello, right, everybody. Welcome to Flyers AD. Here it is, uh, Thursday, January sixth, twenty twenty-two. Here as we uh, pre-game for the Pittsburgh Penguins versus the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. It is uh, a couple hours before puck drop. The Flyers face the Penguins tonight without the following. Travis Konechny, Travis Sanheim, Claude Drew, Sean Couture, Ryan Ellis, Ivan Provorov, Derek Broussard, Nick Sealer, Jackson Cates, Nate Thompson, and Gary Mayhew is the most recent added to that list as he's now day-to-day with a minor injury. So, <laughs> uh, you know, they're there, they're there, they will, hockey will be played tonight, right, Anthony? I guess, yeah, and I mean, at least on some level, you can swing the whole wall. You know, we get to see Cam York and Igor Zamula play and give you a reason not to completely hate what you're watching. Um, Zamula going to play with um, Rasmus Tristelainen and York going back with Justin Braun, and by all accounts, he played very well against Anaheim. I did not watch that game because, you know, I have to go to bed like normal people, but... um, (laughs) No, I guess that's a positive way you could put a spin on it. I I would like to see some younger, well, not younger guys, but just some guys step up. I mean, Frost was kind of a no-show in that game from what I understood. Konechny as well, though he's not going to play either tonight. One thing that I did find kind of striking, and maybe you could touch on this a bit, was that even with all these injuries and guys in COVID protocol, Oscar Lindblom's on the fourth line. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much stock to put into these lines right now. Uh, yeah, I guess you could throw him up there because he's one of the only few actual flyers left, in a sense. But at the other hand, I mean, does do, do the lineups really matter in this game at this point? Yeah, no, for that, I, I do agree. I don't know. I guess he's just one of those guys that you would expect to kind of really, you know, step up and, you know, seize the opportunity in a game like this. But well, to be fair, he is with Zach McEwen, who may be the second best flyer in this lineup tonight. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I heard Zach McEwen's going to get second unit power play time. I wonder if Bristol Lyon gets any power play time or if they're still going to fight. I don't think him. so. I don't think he was in the uh, lineups for the power play. Uh, let's see. McEwen, net front, York point, Broussard right, Lindblom slot, Frost left is PP2, and Yandel is on the point for PP1. So no no wrist alignment on the power play. So still four forwards on both units. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, yep. How have you found, like we've talked about a lot, but how have you found the power play under Daryl Williams? I think they're converting a little more, but I don't necessarily think anything has changed uh at least majorly changed from from the thompson days i still feel like they're having trouble getting in the zone most nights um and when they do they're just kind of setting up and going back to the very boring passes with no creativity whatsoever but uh i mean they're converting more but i i feel like from a process perspective not a whole lot has changed and We talked a bit about, and I guess it's getting to a point where you can't really compare anymore because of all the injuries and guys out with COVID that Yo has had to deal with. But I feel like with each passing game, the defensive structure of this team is like getting worse. Like, I know that they're playing better offensively, transitionally and all this, but based on what the way they were playing before the coaching change... 
I felt like the only thing they had going for them, let's say in November when all shit was going wrong, is that they could keep teams to the outside and try and limit chances. And now it seems that it's just like a free-for-all in their own end. And like I said, I do, in more recent games, you also have to account for all the guys out. But it's not like there weren't injuries in October and November as well. So, like, have you seen that difference at all? Or do you think it's just a collective mess to the point where you can't just focus on that? Both. I, I think AV's system may have been a little too stuffy. But I don't think Yao's system is tight enough. Um, it just kind of... He let the reins of AV go and <laughs> just kind of ran with it. And, I mean, that's been the story ever since Yao's first game. You know, think back to the, the Colorado game that they played where they scored a bunch of goals, but they look like utter shit in the process. And they really have not been able to establish any kind of form under Yao. And his his coaching strategy seems to be no strategy at all. And... You know, it's certainly a change from AV, but I don't necessarily know if it's for the better. And, you know, now with the benefit of hindsight and with a different brand of coaching behind the bench, you can kind of look and see that maybe everybody was a little too early to judge, you know, AV doing the dump and chase and, and the overly stifled defense approach is just because that's all this roster can do with the quality of players it has. You know, the, the, the running gun offense isn't exactly built for the Philadelphia Flyers here in 2022. Well, I'm I'm looking because now there's a, there are 11 games under Yao. It's a month to the day. A month ago today is when he coached the first game against the um, against the Colorado Avalanche. And you know, it, which is weird. What I'm about to say is because he was the PK and defensive coach. Yeah. And those were the things that I thought were the few bright spots. I think their yes. PK was 82.6 percent. Their their defensive structure in their own in their own end looked good. And now took over for AV. They're 21st in the league in the penalty kill with a 75.7% rating. And then I look at shots against per game, and they're third in the NHL, like third highest with 36.1. So, and I think before that, they were down closer to 34 shots per game against. And again, these aren't like striking, striking changes, but it's still like, well, shouldn't have the defensive coach been like better? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> than this. And I don't know. It's uh, I obviously not really trying to nitpick here completely, but it does seem a little strange how unstructured they look after a coaching change. And it kind of leads me to believe like, was it an intangible thing? Like the players just had enough of AV? Was it a panic move because they just had no other option to try and at least signal like, yeah, we understand that this can't go on? Like, because on the ice, in terms of the process, it hasn't gotten much better. And in some ways, it looks like it's gotten worse. Yeah, it's been a lateral move from AV at absolute best. And at worst, it's been a huge step back from AV. And... You know, when you go from somebody the caliber of Elaine Vigneault as a coach to somebody the caliber of Mike Yao, who's, you know, significantly less just based on their histories, you know, it's a. Uh, there was always the possibility this would happen. I mean, there was never a doubt in my mind Yao was the next coach, but, you know, what he brought to the table was never overly enticing. And, uh, you know, moving forward, Yao still has the interim tag on. I hope that Fletcher does go out and look for a legitimate coach this offseason and does not just fall back on his love for Mike Yao because I, I think if he's the guy long-term here, nothing's going to get better, regardless of what they do. 
and you know i'm looking at like look like the the shots against per game isn't a big difference like it's a basically a shot and a half more per game that they're giving up but i it certainly feels worse than that it, it just feels that when the puck is in their end, they're running around with their chickens cut with their like chickens with their head cut off, yeah. kind of like the hackstall days. Yep. It feels like they're playing hackstall hockey right now. And there's no secret that Dave Hackstall had some seasons where guys played very well offensively. Like Dave Hackstall was the coach in Giroux's best offensive year. He was the coach in Katoria's best offensive year. He was the coach during Voracek's best offensive year. Like all those great years, Wayne Simmons was scoring, scoring 30 goals. He was the coach, but it always came back to defensively and also having, you know, Andrew McDonald and Nick Schultz and Mark Strike filling out your top four had a big part to do with it. But it always felt that defensively they were a disaster. And it feels like that's kind of like what they've gone back to here. And this isn't me saying that they were better off the other way because they were losing just as much. But and I do think, you know, I said it then, I'll say it now. It was basically just changing four quarters for a buck. And if the players are happier in the room, then whatever, more power to them. But it's just becoming more and more obvious here that the people who thought that, it, you know, A.V. was the boogeyman and everything was going to be fine and dandy when he left, you're seeing it now. And, you know, I, I, I can already hear the other argument. I could hear it coming like, oh, well, you know, Yao was part of the A.V. regime. We need the, another coach to come in and <laughs> save the day. Can't you see that coming? Oh, honestly? yeah. Oh, yeah. like so like look and it's not fair really to mike yao because like he's kind of jumped on a moving derailed train (laughs) like heading down a ravine of sorts and i do think that he's not a horrible coach but i also think that he's not a great coach i think he's a very good assistant coach i believe he won a stanley cup with the pittsburgh penguins as an assistant coach in 2009 if i'm not mistaken and i really liked his work with the flyers as the defense and penalty kill guy but it's kind of like now you're seeing like okay well what is he supposed to do here you know and i don't know it it goes way beyond coaching i'm not blaming mike at all and obviously they kind of have this makeshift like coaching staff. Like I assume Nick Schultz is here for the long run at this point, but uh, it just kind of goes to show that, you know, you could have had John Cooper behind the bench and probably not much would have changed. And, you know, I talked about that for weeks leading up to the AV firing, which is oh, you, <laughs> you can fire the guy all you want, but what comes next? You know, what happens? What's your plan after you fire him? And, you know, you even somebody along the lines of, you know, a Tockett or a Claude Julien or whatever, those even all felt like lateral moves from AV. You know, if you're, you're there, are you this team desperately, desperately, desperately needs a Barry Trotz or Mike Sullivan or Rod Brendamore or something along those lines of, you know, just one of the truly elite coaches in the league that can single handedly come in and kick some ass. And unfortunately, they don't become available all that often. You know, it's just it's just another guy behind, as you've missed a runaway train at this point. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what the hell you do as far as coaching moving forward. But uh, the the trio of Mike Yao, Daryl Williams and Nick Schultz uh, is not striking fear in the hearts of any competition at this point. 
We saw a report. Well, I don't even know if it was a report. It was someone quoting Elliot Friedman that he said that Provorov might be made available. And he also said that he would bet a mansion. And this is assuming this is true because I didn't hear it myself. But this guy typically is somewhat on point. And we'll get into the Giroux thing later on. But in terms of trading Ivan Provorov, for you, is that not essentially saying like, yeah, we're done and we're waving the white flag and we're going into a rebuild of sorts? I mean, the the trading Provorov thing is interesting. Um, You know, if you're looking for assets and pure highest, you know, value on your team to trade, Provorov's the guy. Um, <laughs> he also did mention Giroux, and, and I have a hard enough time believing the Flyers going to do the right thing and trade Giroux, let alone going out there and trying to deal someone like Provorov. Um, if anything, that's an off-season move. I highly doubt we see that at the trade deadline. But, uh, you know, trading Provorov, you know, uh, <laughs> that's a big step. That That is a uh, full-on, we're tearing it down, going down to the bones and trying all over again. Um, but you know, if that's your approach, then you may as well deal him because he's going to get you the most, the most value, you know, the most bang for your buck coming back as far as draft assets go. So, you know, I, uh, I don't believe for a second it's going to happen. I don't think that's one of the, you know, one of those things I won't believe until I see, but you know, if the theory is that you blow it up, you may as well deal Provar while you're at it. Well, aside from Hart, he gets you the most on the trade front, Yes, I think. Yeah. You know, he I believe he's going to have after this year, three years left at six point seven five million dollars. Like even if he is a number two, that's a good contract for a number two defenseman. I believe that's the exact kind of salary that Ryan McDonough makes. And I think Ivan Provorov, if he is a two, would probably be one of the best twos in the NHL. Um, you know, I think Ryan McDonough has kind of held that title for the last three years or however, I think it's four years now that he's in Tampa Bay, but I mean, cost certainty, 24 years old, a guy that has never missed a game for injury aside from last game due to COVID, but he's still by all accounts is perfectly fine. If it was any other illness, he would have played a hundred percent like he, another guy who's been able to show that he's, uh, Close to Norris caliber defenseman on, on two separate occasions, 1718 and 1920. Um, but for whatever reason, I mean, I think that it may be the best move if you are going down a rebuild uh, approach. The only thing is, is that they were looking for a defenseman of Provorov's caliber for years, for years after yeah. Chris Ponger and Kimo Timnan moved on. And now you have him and you want to move on from him. And, you know, like, I understand that if you're rebuilding, you have to maximize your assets. I get that. And as much as I love Provorov, probably my favorite player on this team, I would support that deal if you are going to rebuild. Like, I can't stress that enough. If you're just going to trade Provorov in, like, a hockey trade, I don't understand it. Because I don't think that you're going to get a better defenseman for Provorov uh, then Provorov for Provorov. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of people have said, like, oh, well, trade him for Jacob Chikrin. Well, why would what? Arizona do that? You know? Like, <laughs> I, I think that Chikrin's probably better and has the higher ceiling. But why would Arizona trade Chikrin for Provorov, a guy who's older? And it just makes no sense, right? So, 
I don't think that you're going to be able to bring in a better defenseman than Ivan Provorov. So if your plan here is to, like, elevate Travis Sanheim to the top Oh, pair God, and... fuck. <laughs> yeah, okay, His you know mom what? was Let's all think... over me again on Twitter today. That fucking Who? lady's back. Tra- uh, Travis Sanheim's mom. Really? Yeah. Are you guys headed for, like, a Hell in a Cell match, or what's going on? <laughs> what's Maybe. What's between you guys? No idea. I haven't heard from her in a couple years at this point, but uh, she was all over me this afternoon. So, Well, look, you. what did you think of Sanheim being elevated into that 1D role against Sanheim? He just can't do it. He's not... He's just like Ristolainen, where... He's perfectly fine doing what he's doing, but the second you give this guy a little bit more responsibility, he crumbles under the pressure. And he was god-awful in that Ducks game. Just the fucking dirt worst. So, you know, you really put yourself in a bad situation here with your defense if Ristolainen and, and Sanheim are you're doing, because you're stuck. Those guys are your second pair, nothing more, right? And... If you're looking to add and, and you know, put the, the, the tear it down option on the back burner for a minute, and if you're one to salvage this defense, like, you got to rely heavily on Cam York coming up and being able to be that number two guy. Like, find a guy, you know, I would be all for Josh Manson on the, uh, to, to swing from number three to number one if necessary. But, like, fuck, throw money at Klingberg or something and go Provorov, Ellis, York Klingberg and then uh, fucking Sanheim and Ristolainen on the third pair. It doesn't make any sense to put $11 million down there, but Jesus Christ. Like, it's pretty clear that you're these two are second pair, nothing more defensemen, and it really does limit them and what they can do in case of injury. And you're lucky you have somebody like Provarov who's played every single game except one in his career because if Sanheim had to take the reins as a number one defenseman regularly, they'd, he'd be a fucking disaster. Yeah, if there, I I just would like to get to, and I've tried to kind of dig, but you know everyone's kind of tight flipped right now around the organization, at least for you know zeros like me. I'm just kidding, but uh, I would really like to know where their head is at. Like, yeah, are they going to re- still try and make the playoffs? If they don't make the playoffs, are they going to sell off? If they sell off, are they going to rebuild or are they going to sell off and then try and reload and go for it again? Or are they just going to keep the band together and go for it again? Like it's, you know, I said on our last show that they could do anything like in terms of changing the roster or changing the coaches or changing the management. And I wouldn't be surprised either way if they were still here, if they weren't. And the same reigns true with the philosophy. Like, I don't know what direction they want to go in, what they think is the best one. Like there's so much uncertainty up and down this organization from the very top to the right down to the bottom that like, I've never felt that they've been so lost. Like at least with Hextall, even when they were bad, you knew what he wanted to do. And I think I've said this before, you know, almost to a fault. And I'm not saying that it was good under Hextall, but at least you knew what he was going for. With Fletcher kind of just with marching orders from Scott, it's like you don't know what's going to happen from one week to the next or one month to the next. It's just like everything's kind of a fluid situation all the time. Like the goalposts are always changing for where they want to go with this thing. 
And like, I don't even know who's going to be here next year. Management, coaching, players. It's, it just seems so like mishmashed. It seems so confusing. And there just seems to be no steady direction. Yeah. And I was curious. I was talking a little about you know, something very similar on Twitter the other day. Like, you fired half the coach. You uh, you fired uh, you, Jesus. You traded half the roster and you fired your coaching staff and you got you know you got rid of some of the bad apples on the team and Voracek and Gosses Bear and yet at the same time you're still stuck in this weird neutral gra- neutral no man's land with no direction whatsoever and. I think that's where a lot of the feeling of of hopelessness and just kind of being lost comes from is what do you do now? You know, what comes next? You know, it feels like you've tried everything to put them back on a competitive course and tried to salvage this team to the best of your abilities. And now it comes down to what do you do now? You know, do you flip the other half of the roster, the Sanheims and Konechnys and JVRs of the world, and replace them with, you know, the equivalents of Atkinsons and Ristolainens and whoever else and try and run it back again next year? Or is it time you wave the white flag and, and tear it down and start all over again? And I do think a rebuild is probably the end game right thing to do. But we've talked about this before. I do not believe for a second that that is where the flyers are interested in going from an organizational standpoint. I just don't think they've got the patience or the, the wherewithal to sit through, you know, five plus years of, of trying to draft and, you know, develop properly. I I don't think they want to do that. And because of that, you're stuck even further because there's just no clear path to get them past where they are now. And that is just the, the the crux of the issue, is there's no way out of this. There's no easy way out of where they are now. There's no easy fix here. For you, if rebuilding isn't on the table, let's say Scott tells you it's not a thing, how would you approach this offseason? Like, you have free reign, but you can't, but the ultimate goal is still being a playoff team. How would you go about it? Well, get rid of Santa and McConnecting, just because. <laughs> I feel like you're going to win 15 more games a year with those two out of the lineup alone. And then, Jesus. See, the problem is the goddamn free agent pool is so bad this year, too. There's not even that one big name you can be like, let's get that guy. You know, it's, 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 it's sad. You got you to gotta make some more trades. And if you're going to be competitive, I mean, you may as well just burn your fucking draft classes to the ground because who cares? You know, if you're if you're hell bent on on winning, get rid of your first round pick next year, which is valuable, and try and find some legitimate center depth here. And you know, if you got to trade Sean Couturier for literally nothing, pull the you know Shane Gossesbeard deal on him just to get that fucking contract off the books and bring in a legitimate center to replace him. Like that would be my starting point, but uh, I don't think that has any you know is I don't think that holds any water in real life. It's. Uh... <laughs> Like you would maybe have you would have to trade some guys to clear salary for number one, and then th- this it always comes back to me like the center ice position. Yeah. Like, where are you going to go with Katori and Hayes as your top two centers? Like, it's it looked good for a year, 
And then in the playoffs, they got exposed, and it's just been on this downward trend ever since. And I think Kevin Hayes has been, like, pretty awful this year. Um, and again, I know, you know, coming back from injury, what went on with his brother, I get that. And Sean Couturier dealing with another injury, which, I mean, I guess it kind of makes you breathe a sigh of relief that he was just playing injured. Apparently it's not body injury, though, so that doesn't explain the fact that he moves slower than a fucking glacier. Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really know what to make of Sean Couturier. It's um you know, I, I think that if Sean Couturier had Marshawn Posternak, because everyone likes to compare it to Bergeron, if he had those caliber of wingers, I think he'd be a perfectly fine one C. But he doesn't really have those guys. Like the best wingers they could put beside him are Farabee and Giroux. And I think they've tried that already. I don't think it's working because Farabee and Giroux aren't guys like Marshawn and Pasternak. They're not elite level wingers. I I just, you could try and, you know, turn some guys over and, you know, swap four quarters out for a buck all you want. But until they get like a bona fide 1C who's going to be in his prime for a while, not just like, that's the other thing about Thomas Hurdle. And I think a lot of people have pointed this out, which I'm happy they did that, like, you're, even if you bring in Hurdle, like how long is he going to be at the top of his game? Two years, three max? Like probably. Yeah. You, like you need to bring in a centerman who could be a one C or a high end two C that will be in that position for like five years to kind of. <laughs> and where do you get one of those? <laughs> well, you know what? Like I've like in recent memory, like. O'Reilly got traded, Lindholm got traded, Eichel got traded, Zabanishad, okay, that's a few years ago now, but he got traded. Like they I think it's easier to find a one C than it is to find a f- number one defenseman, in my opinion. Okay. And but the thing is, is that are you willing to pay that cost? They should have just went for fucking Jack Eichel. In retrospect, yeah. Honestly, you're right. Whatever the fuck they wanted to 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 take Jack Eichel, that's what I would have done. But you know, <sighs> we don't want to trade anybody. Sean Couturier is our number one. Oh, Could you remember when people said they wouldn't trade Couturier one for one for Eichel? Oh yeah, they wouldn't trade him one for one for Eichel or McKinnon. <laughs> oh my god, the McKinnon there. I forgot about that. <sighs> But, like, even a guy, like, Sagan got traded. Like, for me, even a guy like Elias Lindholm. Like, Elias Lindholm got traded. You know, you had to give up Dougie Hamilton for him, but I don't think Calgary's complaining about that trade. They also got Noah Hannafin. Like, I think there's guys out there that could be, even though they're not publicly, like, on the trade market, but I think there's a lot of guys out there that could be had if you're willing to pay up. But people are scared to pay up. Like, I, I, I was talking about it yesterday a bit about on Twitter that, like, yeah, you could probably get a guy like Larkin or someone in that, you know, stratosphere, but you're going to have to part with Farabee, York, if not more. Like, and, you know, everyone gets afraid when they hear stuff like that. But the thing is, is that you know what you have isn't working. It's yeah. not working as is, so what's the worst that could happen if you make that trade and it doesn't work? You're still shit? Like, I mean, <laughs> if you're not going to rebuild, you might as well try something different. That's one thing I really liked what Chuck Fletcher said in the offseason, is that, you know, you you can't keep going back with the same thing and expecting a different result. 
And I like that. And that's why a lot of people, you know, they still get very mad about the wrist aligning trade and all this. And it's like, look, if your argument is that the entire philosophy of trying to make this team competitive was flawed, I won't disagree with you. If you're saying that you shouldn't give that return up for a second pairing defenseman when you're not a contending team. Yeah, I'll agree with that. But the thing is, is that you can't say, like, I liked every other move that they made in the offseason, aside from Nate Thompson, of course, but I didn't want to make the wrist align and trade. Because then you're you're conflicting what you want to do. Because if you want to make the team better and actually make the playoffs and possibly go for a cup, you make the team better in the here and now, no matter the cost in terms of draft picks and assets within reason, of course. But if you don't want to... You know, if your philosophy is that you think that this team is too far gone, which we were saying last year, then, yeah, I wouldn't have minded if they went in the complete opposite direction. But if they had to go in this direction, I know I'm kind of bouncing back and forth here. I'm happy they made this deal. Yeah. God, Ivan Prover was going to be 25 in a week and a half or something like that. Oh, a week, to, a week from today. So... That's rough. You really do put Provorov in a weird spot at 25 years old. Because if you're going for through a rebuild, he may not be like 29 or 30 until the Flyers are competitive again. Wow. Do you wait that long for him to be a number one still and get you know three, four good years out of him? Or do you trade him now and get assets? Hmm. Oh, if, if, they're, if they're going to go in a rebuild, you might as well trade him. Like, anyone older than 24 you might as well do we trade them because then you're going to make the same mistake that you made in 2015 by not trading Giroux and Simmons and Voracek all those years ago like if you're going into a rebuild the only guys that are you probably aren't looking to trade are Farabee York Hart like guys of that nature everyone else like you're on the table at that point Hart's going to pull a Steve Mason and win too many games for him to truly suck. <laughs> yeah, Steve Mason, man. He was such a good goalie. I really I miss like Steve. Steve Mason. I think <sighs> only goalie to... He had some stat. Like, he was the only goalie to win a certain amount of games or play a certain amount of games in four straight years, which is more of a testament to how fucked up that position has been historically for this franchise but i don't think people realized how good steve mason was in the early to mid 2010s there are still people that don't have any respect for the guy and i can't i i, I just can't even imagine they think back to that one goal in the uh, cap series from center ice like oh look what he did here but it's like man that guy does do you remember how you fucking made it to the playoffs that year in the first place because mason won like 25 of the last 29 games or something like that and oh the good old days Hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I just, <laughs> it's so unfortunate, um, that we're in this spot again. Like, it feels like we're talking about the team from 2015. No? Oh, yeah. It, uh, the podcast wasn't around back then, but if it was, I'm sure, I mean, I was writing at that point, so I'm sure you can go back and find some old stuff from that era where I was saying probably the same exact thing word for word we're saying now. Because nothing has changed now. It's just with a couple different players we're talking about moving versus, you know, Shen and Simmons. Now it's, you know, Provorov and, uh, you know, Travis Konechny. Oh, I just... 
Travis Konechny, he's another guy. Like, isn't, like, a lot of people were saying, like, isn't that a game where you want Travis Konechny to step up when Giroux's out of the lineup? You would think. But he's just not very good. What about a guy like JVR who people were saying that he was... Do you think JVR is the kind of guy that plays, I guess, the right way in terms of, like, he knows the game, he does the little things right, all that, but he's just not nearly as skilled enough as he used to be or as people thought he was when he got handed a $7 million contract? Because I saw a lot of reports that, like, he had, like, numerous, like, great chances in front of the net but just couldn't bury it. Like, when it comes down to JVR, like, if he was, like, a $2 million player, would you have any issue with him? JVR was probably one of their best guys during that game, but I mean he's washed. It just it is what it is. I mean he's thirty two. Uh, he just he's just a shell of what he used to be, and you know being deployed almost specifically in the net front role doesn't necessarily do him any favors. And you know I I, I don't like JVR, but at this point I just kind of like accept it that he's just a seven million dollar traffic cone as phyllis would say on sisterly pod um it's just, he's just a goddamn waste of space at this point but i can't necessarily get mad at him for not having the skill because he's gonna be 33 you know at this point in his career you know he shouldn't have to be an elite producer it, you know he handed him a really bad contract which looked pretty ugly at the time and is not getting any better now that he's aging like a fucking apple but you know it's just i don't know i i don't like jvr but but as far as just blaming him for this mess it's just he's just i don't know he's just some veteran dude at this point i'm far more angry at the young guys like connect me for not producing than i am jvr yeah i would agree with that because you it happens with every team that you know veterans you know get old and they don't play as well as they used to. Like it happened with James Neal, but people aren't freaking out about James Neal because you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl there who are taking over. You know what I mean? Like that's a bad analogy. Those are like two of the top five players in the NHL, but you know what I'm saying that you eventually need the young guys to step up. And aside from Joel Farabee, has anyone really step up in a way that you could see them taking over for Giroux and Vorge? No, and hell no. Not even close. Not <laughs> like, even close. And I think that's going to be, you know, as much as it's time for Giroux to move on and get dealt and, and the Flyers enter their next era of history, like, it's going to be hard to see him go. And not just because he's a fan favorite and has been here for 15 years, but... He still has a hefty lead on points right now. He's second in goals and has a five-point lead. His 29 points, a five-point lead on Cam Atkinson for second place. Like, he's still the guy where a vast majority of your offense is coming from. And the second he's gone and you take that away, and all of a sudden it is the responsibility of guys like Konechny and JVR to step up and make shit happen, and Kevin Hayes, like, it's gonna, it's gonna suck. I don't think people are truly going to appreciate Claude Giroux until he's gone because this team without him is going to be just completely obsolete. Yeah, without Claude Giroux, like, like what's your top six without Claude Giroux? And obviously you have to account for whatever they would get in return, but... Couturier, Konechny, Farabee, or you know, some connection of those three, whatever position they would properly play. And who's your second line? Hayes, Atkinson... 
JBR? Frost? Yeah, Frost? Uh, Yeehaw! (laughs) Boy! Oh, can't wait for that! (sighs) Yeah, it's gonna... It's gonna suck if he's not here. That's for goddamn sure. I... I think they have some guys that they can move on from if they're looking to just replenish assets. But if they're looking for hockey trades to try and keep this team competitive, that's where I think they may run into issues. Because if you're trading Provorov, you're not getting a better defenseman for him. If you're trading Travis Konechny, maybe a year ago, you could have gotten something better for him, i.e. Patrick Laine. You know, Travis Sanheim, same thing, like... Claude Giroux, if you trade him, like it's not a hockey trade. You're going to get draft picks and young players and or prospects. Like, I don't, I think the point of making hockey trades has passed because a lot of these guys are what they are now. You can't sell anyone on potential anymore. Like, unless you're moving Farabee, like the only hockey ish trade I think you could make is if you did something like Farabee, York, and Morgan Frost for Dylan Larkin. I think that's like the only type of hockey trade you can make that would theoretically maybe make this team better in the here and now. Like, aside from that, could you see anything like that? Not really. Uh, You know, you're not going to sell anybody on connecting. I've seen seen a couple of people talk about this. Like, what value does Travis Konechny have right now? You know, he's a 25-year-old winger who's not scoring goals. You know, he had one good point. What can you reasonably get for him? And that's a good point because, you know, I'm sure there would be some team that would be willing to take a risk on him. But, I mean, you should have sold high in 1920 when he had his career best year versus this. And, I mean, it's Shane Goss's bear thing. You should have sold high on that fucking guy when he had a 65-point season rather than wait four years when you had to literally pay somebody to take him from you. You know, I don't think it's going to be quite that bad with Konechny because he is, you know, at least a forward, but Christ, man, three years left at 5.5 for a guy who's going to put up, you know, less than 20 goals is a not great deal. You know, maybe Sanheim, he got something like that in just because he only has one year left on his contract and is relatively cheap, but, you know, outside of, uh, man, I don't know, there are not a lot of straightforward hockey trades on here. It would need to be probably Frost and Farabee would be your two best chances to get a, a, you know, a legit hockey deal done. But even then, what the hell does that net you? Well, like Frost at this point, Frost is just I a think, dude. yeah, I mean, it's, and it's okay. It's fine. But it, it's a shame because I think even as early as two years ago, you could have kind of swindled the team and manipulated him to think like, oh yeah, you know, he could be a one C and you know, I, Oh, I, I think back to the 2020 trade deadline, like you could have used like frost and a first round pick, like who gives a shit, like to go get a guy like JG Pajo, like maybe like now in hindsight, it would have been pointless to make that trade. But like, do you think a JG Pajo would have tipped the scales at all in the 2020 playoffs? And well, it's crazy because then the Islanders wouldn't have had him. But like, if you had JG Pajo over Derek Grant on your third line, and that was the only addition you had made, do you think it would tip the scales that much? I don't know if he's the difference between them winning or losing, but he would have been a huge improvement over Derek Grant. I remember 
heading into that trade deadline, I really wanted them to get Pajot and Martinez. I really thought, like, you get these two guys and you could have done something special. And maybe not, like, who knows, because Giroux and Couturier and Konechny and all no-showed in the playoffs. But who knows what went on behind the scenes. Maybe they mailed it in because they knew their bottom six wasn't good enough. But, like, imagine you had Martinez and JG Pasho on that team. Like, it just feels like that trade deadline was such a missed opportunity on so many levels. Yeah, that was the start of the collapse in terms of not being able to kind of strike while the iron was hot. You know, if they if they shot a little higher at the deadline. Um, and, you know, if the fucking pandemic never happened, too. And maybe they would have rode into the playoffs with a little bit more momentum than they did. But, you know, uh, had they went for it and, and got some legitimate depth instead of Thompson and Grant, uh, you know, both in forwards and defense, maybe they uh would have had a better opportunity and things would have looked a little different uh, in that 2020 playoffs. But, you know, they didn't. And then they signed Eric Gustafson in the summer. And we all know how the fuck that went. You know, before the playoffs, uh, before the pandemic, like, ended, you know, that season, like, how good they were looking. Like, it was incredible. Like, did you know that before the season paused, they were allowing the fewest shots against per game? In the NHL, I did like, not. Goals against per game, they were. I believe they were in the top half of the NHL or close to it. I would have to go look. Or wait, let me actually check this up. I have it here. They were seventh in the NHL in goals against per game. Shots against per game, they were number one. Goals for per game, they were seventh. Like they were just a very good team. Like I, I do think that they didn't do themselves any favors by adding Grant and Thompson at the deadline and i think that that's you know kind of chuck fletcher's bad but like that was a really good team and the thing is is like you do bring up a good point about the momentum thing and i agree with that but the thing is is that they looked good in the round robin yeah it's not they showed up and then looked like crap they beat the lightning the bruins and the capitals and they looked damn good doing it It wasn't you know that was some of the best hockey i've ever seen this group play was the was the round robin yeah I never understood what happened between the last round Robin game and Montreal. Because as soon as Montreal started, it was like the entire team changed. I don't know what the fuck happened. Like maybe something happened with the coaching staff behind the scenes. I know that there was a kind of a riff going on between Voracek and AV at that time. Uh, But who really knows? But like this was a good team in 1920. You know, like I just said, arguably one of the better, like a top five defensive team in the NHL that year. And that was with like not even that great of goaltending. That's the other thing. Like, it's not like they were winning games like they were early on last season or this year. Like they were literally playing very good systematic hockey, like very structured defensive hockey. And they were scoring because you had Konechny playing well. Voracek was a beast by that time, as we've, you know, cited so many times. Like, the process was very good. And for Chuck Fletcher to go out and just add Grant and Thompson, like, look, I, for the most part, am a fan of Chuck Fletcher. But thinking back, like, what he did at that trade deadline was, uh, it really doesn't sit well with me. Nope. The uh, inactivity uh, through... The, the 2020 trade deadline and then that summer 
probably ultimately cost them whatever uh, whatever last bit of uh, you know chance at uh, at greatness they had there because nothing has fucking gone right since. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened between the the round robin and the playoffs, but uh, whatever it was, they have not recovered from since. So I don't know. Is there a player if they're going to rebuild? And obviously, Hart is the easy answer. But aside from Hart, is like Farabee the only guy that you don't trade? Probably. Uh, I would keep York and Zamula as well, uh, just because I think they're the best bet you got on the blue line at the moment. Um, but uh, roster players, uh, the, the you know current Flyers roster players, Farabee and Hart are probably the only two that would be untouchable. And uh, hell, even if the right price comes along for Farabee, I wouldn't even turn that down at this point. And then who would you build around? Or do you, for you, is it just build on, like around guys who aren't on the roster or maybe aren't even drafted yet? I mean, most of them are probably not drafted yet. Um, but I, I do have, you know, Wade Allison, I would keep. Forrester, I really like Forrester. If he, that kid can develop, I think you have something as far as goal scoring goes there. You know, and I like York and Zamula. Um, those would be their... What's left, maybe? Uh, I guess Denoyer uh, is hanging around. You know, who the hell knows? It's too early. You know, I want to see him get his feet wet at the professional level before I make any judgments on him. But, you know, those would be the only guys within the organization that I would build around at this point. So most of the guys would probably not uh, not be drafted yet. Hopefully in the next, uh, you know, two years of draft, the Flyers can snag a couple players that are worth a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe we're doing this again. Yeah. It's very... It never changes, does it? It's demoralizing. fucking talking points for almost a decade now. What a once great franchise it was. You know today's Ed Snyder's birthday? Yeah, I saw that. He would have been 89. That poor guy is rolling in his grave right now looking at this fucking hockey team. He would have never let it get this bad. What's the last time you had like significant hope for this team 2010 2011 <laughs> was, was it 1920 the 2012 playoffs maybe a little bit 1920 right before the pandemic hit in those last five six games uh but uh, that would be about it other than 1920 it was probably the 2012 playoffs and then they got curb stomped by the devils in the second round Beyond that, like the cup run, maybe the year after the cup run. It's been legitimately a decade. Do you do you think or do you ever think about rather how the 2019-20 Flyers were being compared to the 2010 Flyers during that COVID-19 what? stoppage? <laughs> do you remember that? I oh god, that was a repressed memory. I do now, but uh I would rather not remember that, so thanks for bringing it up. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> they were the fucking 2010 Flyers. <sighs> what I fucking wouldn't do to watch the 2010 Flyers right now. Oh my God, that team was such a joy to watch. It was such a joy to watch. They had star power, goal-scoring abilities. No Travis Konechny or Travis Sanheim. Uh, 
God. Oh, I just. Uh, did you see my thing about the like finally asking people about the one D thing? I saw you put the tweet out. I didn't pay attention to the thread though. Well, I think mo. Well, some people kind of sided with me, and a lot of people, or with us rather. You know, one guy who's actually my buddy in real life cited like Andre Markov as like a one D, but not yeah, a. Yeah, that's lab. a good example. It was a very good example. You know, Kimo Timonen, although I think Kimo Timonen had more consistency in his game than Ivan Provorov, but do you think that Provorov at his peak is better than Timonen was? And or how would you make that comparison? Hmm. Is Provorov at his peak better than Timonen? I don't know. I at his absolute peak, probably. But I think it's probably pretty close too. I don't know. We need to go back and watch some Teamin and kind of refresh my memory of what the hell he looked like in his prime. Teamin was such a monster. Yeah. What a warrior that guy was, and he made people around him better. But yeah. I mean, like Teamin, the majority of the time he was here, he played with Coburn. I would say, the vast majority. So, and Coburn is better than Justin Braun or Phil Myers or, like, how how much of Provorov's struggles do you think equates to him as a player or more so the, you know, the Motley crew he's been playing with the majority of the time he's been here? I think it's his line mates, the, the quality or lack thereof of his line mates more often than not is where the problems stem from, from... Provorov. Uh, I just think if he just had, if he could just fucking find one person that could play with for like three years, you know, if Ellis was not an injury riddled mess or if Matt Niskin didn't retire and you just had somebody that he could just line up with for years, like, I don't think we would be having this conversation about Provorov not being good. But I think it's the fact that he's lining up with a 35-year-old Justin Braun and spent the first few years with Andrew McDonald and every last fucking scumbag on this team in between. You know, he's he just... <laughs> it's no coincidence that he looked good with Matt Niskin and Ryan Ellis, but he looks like shit with everyone else. Let's put it that way. Or, you know, people forget, like, he had a phenomenal year with Andrew McDonald in 17-18. Like, that's why people who say, like, he's partner-dependent, like... I, like who I think that's such a overused term like partner dependent like what defenseman save for Victor Hedman could be you know a bona fide stud playing with third pairing talent like I've never seen it anywhere else really in the NHL like even a guy like Roman Yossi played his entire career with Weber and or Ellis like I haven't really tracked him this year but because this year I would assume he's playing with, I think it's Carrier, if I'm not mistaken, or Fabro, one of those two. But I've just never seen an example of a defenseman coming into the NHL and been thrown to the wolves like so quickly. Like even a guy like Pietrangelo, you know, I remember the Blues, like just as Pietrangelo was starting to come into his own, they went out and they got Jay Bomeister. And he played with Jay Bomeister for like five or six seasons consistently straight. Like, right through like McAvoy comes in and he plays with Chara like like it's so essential for guys to just have stable partners I'm not saying that they have to you know oh Provorov's here go out and trade for uh 
you know, Adam Fox or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, even a guy like Adam Fox, like, he's playing with Ryan Lindgren. Like, I, I just think having a stable partner who's not completely over his head. Like, I, I still think the mistake goes all the way back to last offseason, not getting Chris Tanev or TJ Brody. I think those are the types of guys that fall in the same tier as Matt Niskanen, just competent, top-pairing guys, like not elite level by any stretch, but just calming presences. I don't know. I just, um, I understand what they tried to do with Ellis, but we already kind of touched on the, that on our last two shows, that it, it's it's still probably in a vacuum is a very good trade, but given his injury history, did you kind of, you know, take the easy way out instead of doing some actual heavy lifting? It's just, if, if you trade Ivan Provorov and he goes on to play with just a competent level defenseman, I think a lot of people are going to be kicking and screaming here. Oh yeah, this is going to be, he's the classic example. You're going to trade Provorov somewhere, even if it's, you know, in full teardown mode, it just to uh, sell him off. He goes and plays somewhere and they put him with a competent partner and he looks like a fucking superstar and he's going to be like, oh, he's going to be the next fucking Patrick Sharp and Justin Williams. <laughs> we traded Provorov and he was good somewhere else. Fuck, I had somebody pull that card with Travis Konechnyler in the week. Ah, oh, we can't trade Konechny because of Patrick Sharp and Justin Williams. It's like I I oh, I cannot even believe I heard that. <laughs> Those trades were 2004 and 2005 and they're still cited to this day as a reason not to make trades. I, but everyone's afraid to make trades. Like look, people are still crying about the wrist line and thing. Yeah, that's true. In retrospect, like assuming everything else is equal, like they did every other move, would you have still made that deal? Yeah. The hell I, I have no issue. How did he look on the top pair the other night? Not as bad as Sanheim. Sanheim was the one that drug those two down that night. Um, you know, I don't think he was phenomenal by any means. I think he suffered with the uh, heavier workload as well. But Sanheim was, was by far the bigger menace of the two on that line. So for you, Travis Sanheim, like, what's your, like, aside from the fact that you hit him, but, like, what's his, like, ceiling for you uh, about a top pair echl guy <laughs> oh my god being deployed beside adam clendenning yeah hell clendenning's a top pair for the AHL. i wouldn't even trust adam in that role who is their top pair like assuming no taxi squad is it clendenning in york yeah clendenning and york have been their top pair and then zamula and wiley and then who's on the bottom pair uh, <laughs> uh, I think Cooper Zek and was it Hogberg when he's healthy? I believe are they the two that are left? Because Millman's been Flyers. on the bench all season. Flyers legend Linus Hogberg? Yeah. You know, the <laughs> next superstar, Linus Hogberg, yeah. All joking aside, do you see him having an NHL future at all? Not particularly. What kind of defenseman is he? He's just a dude. I couldn't even tell you what the fuck he brings to the table. That's how obsolete he is in that lineup. Now, because you're a season ticket holder, I hold your opinion in high regard when I ask you about these players. But people who try and pretend they know how players in the Canadian junior system or NCAA or European leagues are playing, how do you like think... Like, Let me rephrase it. Do you think they have any legitimate grounds to stand on? I 
I'm sure some people watch some games, but I'm I don't I don't consider what prospects do before at least the AHL level anything. Just because it's it, you're playing with kids, you know, one way or another, you're playing with kids, and it just it doesn't impress me when Morgan Frost is putting up two points per game and he's deemed you know Claude Giroux Jr. because of it I'm like great who gives a shit I want to see what he does in the AHL and when he goes to the AHL and is clearly over his fucking head I've got a better view of what he is at the professional level than what people have in junior levels so for the most part I, I don't put a lot of stock into what they do before the AHL and you know Hogberg came from from Europe from Sweden and I'm sure he was playing in in you know a high level uh or maybe a lower level men's league I have no idea without looking it up but you know I don't know what he was doing over there but I mean I don't know he just comes over and he's just a dude you know all these Sam Erson is another one and I really actually I really liked what I've seen out of Sam Erson thus far but everybody that was like oh he's going to come over and he's going to replace Martin Jones as the backup this season and I'm like did I, like the fact that that was even a thought in people's heads was is absolutely insane to me but uh I don't know I've liked Erson though he's a uh, very good injured more often than not which is too goddamn bad but uh yeah I don't know I I just I don't really care mainly because I don't think a lot of people are actually watching these fucking you know, college games or junior games or whatnot. I have a feeling a vast majority of people don't care. They just look at the box score and then put that on Twitter and then pretend there's some kind of, uh, you know, prospect or rule. Oh, my God. Uh, this is just sad. What do you think of the game today? Who do you think wins? Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh seven. in a crushing defeat. 15-1. to one. They're cooking, man. They're cooking. And the Flyers are rolling a borderline ECHL team. Oh my god! At least, like at least it'll be interesting to watch on that regard, right? As that long as York and Zamula look good, and that's all that I matter. Everyone else can suck ass for all I care. <sighs> this was like <laughs> last season when they sucked. The only reason I watched games last year was because I wanted to see just how bad they were. Can they lose nine one again tonight? <laughs> now it's <laughs> now it's like the same thing. Now I got to watch it just because I'm curious to see how bad they're going to be tonight. So god damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I just, um, I kind of hope there's a big train so we could have something, you know, something else. They can to just talk pick about. a direction that would be better. Well, that's the other thing. I just, I don't know where they're going. I think they still want to make the playoffs, but I think that's fading fast. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Uh, let me check the standings here, but I know they're hella far behind Pittsburgh. Uh,. Pittsburgh has 43 points, the Flyers have 32. And the Pittsburgh has a game in hand on top of that. <laughs> Boston has the second wildcard spot at 36 points. So the Flyers are four points behind Boston, but Boston has uh, four games in hand, five games in hand. So that's not great either. So, I don't know. It's already not looking good for the Flyers here for the playoffs. They would need some kind of miracle run just to even have a, a fucking prayer at this point. I don't think they're making the playoffs. I would be stunned. I think they're going to be borderline, but I don't think they're going to be able to overcome these odds already. Fuck, even the Red Wings are three points ahead of them. (laughs) The fucking Red Wings are ahead of the Flyers in the standings. God! Wait, so do you mean to tell me that the Flyers are going to be picking around 15 again? Who would have thought? Well, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six... Seven, eight, 
9, 10, 11, 12, 13, I think they'd be picking right now, it looks like. Jesus. So right back where they were. Yeah, right in the middle of the pack, as always. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's fucking... Uh, well, at least we could have all the prospect gurus uh, have their time in the light again. Their time in the limelight, rather. And they're just waiting to come back and be like, oh, guys, did you hear about this guy this year? <laughs> well, I do have more confidence in this drafting team than whatever the fuck Ron Hextall was doing. That's true. At least that. But, uh, uh, great. So in five years from now, maybe they'll be good. Awesome. We ever had a positive show? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> maybe the first year. Remember the summer where I was talking off the ledge in 2019 where I was very all horned up about them when I was still drinking the Kool-Aid? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there was at least one or two. Yeah, in the two years ago around this time, everything was going well. Yeah. <laughs> the first <laughs> couple games of this season. Yeah, that was uh, a... When did it How was this even the same season that we started? What the fuck? Yeah, I, I remember it was the Toronto game. The Toronto game on that Wednesday night on home ice is where like, I remember being just like, uh-oh. Like, the last time I felt good about them was when they beat Washington in Washington. Probably, yeah. That's the last time I kind of remember being just like, yeah, they played really well that game. Let's see. This is all the 10-game losing streak. And they lost again. And that's another loss. Flyers. Like, November 16th. Oh, there was that series with the Hurricanes and the Stars where they fucking... Hold on for dear life against the Hurricanes. They got curb stomped by the Stars. Now, there was the Maple Leafs game. November 6th was the Capitals game. Yeah, that's the last time Two I... Two months could... ago. I... Exactly. Oh my god. It seems like an eternity ago. <laughs> this fucking October feels like it was ten years ago. And they beat yeah. the fucking Oilers five to three. God feels like a goddamn lifetime ago. That 6-1 win against the Kraken. That Oilers game was pretty cool. That was a fun game. We felt, I was felt like we were at the top of the fucking world after they beat the Oilers. And then they fucking fell from grace and are still currently falling. Yeah, it's just been a gradual decline. Pretty much that Calgary game. But then they, they barely scraped by the Coyotes, I remember, when yeah, they came yeah. back. But then they lost to the Penguins in overtime, I think it was. And then they had a good showing against the, the Capitals. And then that was it. Yep. When that Toronto game happened, and then I then like you said, there was Carolina where they got they basically won because of Carter Hart. Yeah. And they got <sighs> destroyed by the stars, and then they got destroyed by the flames even though they won that game which i don't remember them winning that game but apparently they did but uh, i remember that being a, a real stifling game and then they uh never recovered oh no they won in overtime they won in yeah. overtime yeah yeah atkinson scored the ot winner i'm not for sure they lost that game i remember i don't remember that being a very good game though regardless of the final score and then they uh went on their 10 game losing streak and then they got fired and then they kept losing yeah. 
What a lovely time to be a Flyers fan. Can't wait to review the weekend, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, they got Pittsburgh tonight, San Jose on Saturday, and then they got a hell of a week next week. Carolina, Boston, and the Rangers. Oh my god. It's going to be a slaughter. Yeah. I need to retire immediately. Yeah, well, I, I I suspect a meltdown is en route on Tuesday. Yeah, that could be a, be an ugly game. <sighs> okay, I've yeah. had it. <laughs> That's it. It's I over. Flyers 80's over. I'm never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Resignation letter live on air. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll call it a, uh, a night here. Gotta watch the fucking... Flyers in less than an hour. Fucking great. Yeehaw. At Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Back tomorrow with uh, Frequent Flyer. So look out for that. I'm sure we'll review the Penguin game. I'm sure. I'm sure. Mike, I know Mike has been building up a head of steam for that show. So it should be a good one. Um, and uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at AdamMarco25. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.